All right. All right, Aaron, do you want to play a game with me? Yeah, of course. All right, so I'm going to give you three quotes. We're going to see if it takes you three quotes to figure out which movie I'm talking about today. Quote number one, my motto is, I never met a bad kid. Um, Rainbow Bright. <laughs> no. <laughs> number two, if he had faith in the great one, the knife would not cut him. If he had courage, true courage, the rock would not break him. If the brave was pure of heart, the arrow could not catch him. Care Bears. Exactly. Number three. <laughs> Come on, Ernest. That don't sound like no path of the brave to me. Ernest goes to camp. All right. You got to say the lines. Graham Cracker Booyah Banks. everybody welcome back to a bit of fun with emily it's me your host emily i am glad you're here this is season two where we're talking about 80s and 90s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing we're going to take a break from the fearing though to talk about a movie that i just love i love it you guys i love it objectively i know it's not a great movie but that just it doesn't matter does not matter. This particular character was a bit of a staple in my household growing up, and while he's incredibly corny and a total goofball, there's just something charming and endearing about Ernest P. Worrell. That's right. Today, we're talking about Ernest Goes to Camp. As always, let's dive into some incredibly lazy internet research before we deep dive into Camp Kikiki and the Weird Summer with arguably the greatest camp counselor ever, or the worst, depending on how you want to look at it. So, Ernest B. Worrell is a fictional character portrayed by Jim Varney in a series of television commercials originally and later in a television series, Hey Vern, It's Ernest, as well as a series of feature films. Ernest was created with Varney by the Nashville advertising agency Carden and Cherry and was used in various local television ad campaigns. Ernest Goes to Camp is actually the first in the line of feature films. The only other ones that I remember watching our Ernest Goes to Jail and Ernest Saves Christmas. The other ones, I think they just got too bad for me and I didn't continue watching. <laughs> Jim Varney also voiced Slinky Dog in Toy Story and Toy Story 2. Ernest Goes to Camp, which came out in 1987, grossed $23.5 million at the U.S. box office on a $3 million production budget. And it stayed in the box office top five for its first three weeks of release. So people were loving Ernest when this came out. And though Varney was nominated for the Razzie Award for Worst New Star, only one year later, he earned the Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Performer in a children's series for Hey Vern, It's Ernest. I don't know if I ever watched it. I mean, I remember him talking to the screen and saying, Hey Vern, but I don't know if I ever really watched the TV show. I cannot remember. I might have to look that up and check it out. Did you know that every June there is an earnest day at Montgomery Bell State Park just west of Nashville, Tennessee, where some of the movie was filmed? Activities include guest appearances by some of the actors, an outdoor showing of the movie, nature hikes, and the piece de resonance, turtle catapulting. I mean, who is with me for 2022? I'm, I am legit seriously thinking about going. So if if you're up for a road trip and you love Ernest as well and you just want to see me being very enthusiastic, you, you let me know. We're, we're going to set this up. Several items in Ernest's cabin at Camp Kikiki, an alligator puppet, a picture of his mother, who also portrayed by Jim Varney, 
<laughs> a helmet labeled Fast Ernie. These were all used on the commercials that Jim Varney did in the early 80s. And the final piece of lazy internet research, Lyle Azado broke Jim Varney's nose by mistake. He's the big, um, burly, bully guy that works for Crater. He broke his nose by mistake during the fight scene, and Jim said the crack you hear in the movie wasn't added later. So, you know, in your next rewatch, make sure you take a listen to that. But now that we're done with some lazy internet research, who's ready for a spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie? I feel that I should do a quick disclaimer before we jump into this spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie. I have never been to sleepaway camp. This is, I wouldn't call it a big regret. Um, it is something I kind of wish I had done. There were basketball camps a couple times, but that seems very different because my parents took me to a college and dropped me off with only girls that I really knew, and we stayed in college dorm rooms and ran scrimmages most of the day so it, it doesn't seem like the stereotypical summer camp or what you most often hear about you know the summer church camp kind of things but I I, I hesitate to think that this is how they really normally go down so if, if that is if what I'm about to explain to you is real life I would I would love to have a conversation with you because it's it seems like a dangerous place, um, <laughs> and ill, unorganized, um, just ill-advised. There does not seem to be the correct counselor to camper ratio. It seems off. So, but let's just let's get into it. And we can talk about it a little more. So, our movie starts with the path of the brave. It's it's almost like a reenactment of um, a traditional cultural Native American. Uh, I guess, uh, tradition, <laughs> words are hard, guys, words are hard. They are reenacting something that, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit li more later, about a young man who's becoming a warrior. And so that is kind of the theme of this entire movie, right? And then it immediately heads to Camp Kikiki, where Ernest P. Worrell is breaking the fourth wall while fixing a sign to tell the viewers that he's not going to just be a handyman anymore. He's got his eyes set on camp counselor this summer. It's his year. He can feel it. Now, I feel like he would have known if it was his year before the campers actually came. Uh, but apparently not. Maybe they choose their counselors at the very last second. His, his, um, his determination and his just confidence that this is, this is his year seems seems off to me. And after watching him plunge a toilet, that seems very unlikely that's going to happen. And then they, the kids start to arrive and it takes literally zero time for the bullies to be identified. They also t appear to be 20 years old. So it seems strange that they're in a summer camp for young kids and the age gap is extensive. I mean, I just, I don't know if I would trust my seven-year-old with a 20-year-old camper, but maybe that's a thing. You'll have to tell me if that's a real thing. I just, I don't know. So all of the kids arrive on buses. Again, a question, is there a parking lot somewhere where kids are dropped off by their parents? They get on buses and then they're all shipped to the camp together. But they, they get off these buses and immediately start with the recreational activities. Immediately. They don't get settled in their bunks. They don't collect their luggage. No, they just jump into archery, which I guess, you know, you go guys. You, maybe they, it was a long trip and they just have a lot of pent up energy. 
And while their enthusiasm for nature and physical ability is admirable, I imagine finding their bags and eventually their bunks would be a nightmare, though. What if somebody has the same bag as you? I'm, I'm probably thinking about this too much. But poor... Poor Ernest is left unloading the, t- the 10 buses by himself. And then he has to work on the lifeguard tower at the lake. And he does this safely on a dock, but wearing floaties and um, I believe goggles. So, you know, safety first with Ernest P. World. Safety first, which is actually a lie, though, because he's always hurting himself. While he's getting, you know, down to business working on this lifeguard tower the camp nurse approaches her name is miss saint cloud Uh, we quickly find that miss saint cloud is the granddaughter of um old indian chief that's the name on imdb i have some trouble with that who owns the land that the camp is on which is very interesting and he is allows the camp to be there because he believes in teaching young men the path of the brave and getting them out into nature so Ernest. I, I don't know if he has the hots for Miss St. Cloud or he just he's just likes to try to impress people, but he starts to try to impress her with Native American sign language, which he does not actually do. And she informs him that what he actually needs is the rest of his shots. Now, again, I feel like all of this should have happened before the kids came. Like they should have had all their ducks in a row to make sure that their, their counselors or I guess handymen were, you know, adequately vaccinated (laughs) it is never discussed what shots this grown man is in need of and one can assume it's tetanus though because he's definitely stepped on a rusty nail or two i i firmly believe that but whatever they are he's having difficulty putting on a brave face he he hates needles and as a fellow hater of needles i mean i totally feel his pain they are also he so he gets taken to the the clinic Um, the nurse's station, and they are the biggest needles I have ever seen. And this so-called nurse seems to take great joy in stabbing people. In an attempt to distract her, Ernest asks about her grandfather, and we get a glimpse of her family relations, you know. Um, Don't worry, we'll get to meet grandfather later. And then she just just starts stabbing him, and and then you you start to hear him, right? Screaming from across the place, and nobody seems bothered by this. Now, if you're f- unfamiliar with Ernest movies, there are a few things you should be aware of. One, he likes to scrunch his nose up and say, ew, a lot. That was horrible impersonation. Please forgive me. Number two, there's usually a close-up where he does some kind of ridiculous yelling. Number three, he normally talks to his off-camera friend, Vern, just like in his TV series. And number four, he's frequently a punching bag with a heart of gold. We're less than five minutes into the movie, and we've gotten two of these out of the way. We're given an ew, again, I'm sorry, while he's plunging the toilet. And we get the close-up where he treats the shot like a truth serum. He starts um, just spouting whatever comes to his mind a little bit like Chunk in The Goonies. And then he starts to scream, and we get the the close-up. And when the sounds of Ernest's screams reverberating through the camp, the scene shifts to the camp leader. Mr. Tipton's office, where the three of his counselors, I don't know if they're the only counselors, they appear to be the only (laughs) counselors there, including the lawsuit waiting to happen known as Stennis, are sitting around his desk receiving the news that the camp is participating 
and a program to take in youth from a juvenile delinquent center. Now, again, camp has already started. Should all of this not have already happened before the kids got there? Why are the counselors all sitting in an office while the campers are out doing whatever they want to do? I don't understand. They immediately label these delinquent kids bad eggs without even meeting them. And for a camp that seems to take serious the idea of providing opportunities for young men to experience nature and gain leadership skills, they're really horrible role models. And then they pawn off the job of picking them up onto Ernest, who is excited to take on the task. He, he just, hey, this is a responsibility that might get me closer to camp counselor. These boys are fun. They have personality, which is a little rough, and personal style. One's in a Hawaiian shirt he refuses to button. One has a business vest and a tie-on over a t-shirt because that's a, a very, you know, smart look. One's tough with a sleeveless jean jacket. One's sporting a blazer. One's got his army shirt on with a wife beater. And almost all of them are hiding their rolling eyes behind some, some cool shades. They've all got sunglasses on. And the lady in charge... And I should point out that she's one of two whole ladies in the entire movie. That's it. We do not see another lady outside of Miss St. Cloud and this this woman. The lady in charge reinforces the idea that these are bad kids. While Ernest, our lovable and open-hearted hero, has the motto of, I've never met a bad kid. So he picks them up. Undeterred by the less than welcoming introduction, he loads them all into the bus to head to camp which doesn't seem to be very far away. They get there very quick. He's just brimming with joy, Ernest is, that, he'll get, that they'll get to experience Camp Kikiki. He thinks this is going to be a good experience for them. He wants to get to know them. And then they think it's a good idea to play a game of guess who by covering his eyes while he's driving. And instead of being an intelligent man, he just goes along with it. And they think it's hilarious that he almost starts to run into a whole bunch of things. By some miracle, they do make it back to camp, but the game ends with Ernest rear-ending another camp bus and then falling out of <laughs> falling out of it. And Mr. Tim Tipton chides him for being irresponsible and tells him he's just not camp counselor material. That's all that happens. This man hits another bus, falls out of it, and he's just like, you're just not camp counselor material. The boys are then paraded to a rundown bunkhouse called delinquents to their faces and after settling in swagger over to the mess hall where they immediately start to insult the other campers to prove that they're tough and care about no one the joy of this scene is getting to meet the camp chef jake and his sous chef eddie just love them these two guys are very proud of their culinary achievements they should however never be allowed to give or make food for another living creature they think dishes with modeling, <laughs> modeling clay are a good idea. <sighs> and as our delinquents go to find a place to sit, the bullies from earlier, of course, decide to trip the youngest and weakest of the group, setting off a food-slash-tray fight. Again, no other camp counselors in sight. Ernest rushes in to break things up and ends up getting clobbered in the face with a tray. This gets our delinquents who are blamed for the fight on ditch digging duty while the bullies are let off scot-free. Typical. Then Ernest is back in the kitchen for some reason where Eddie describes one of Jake's new dishes called Eggs Erroneous. At least our hero is smart enough to know not to eat anything that the man makes, so he's not as dumb as he comes off. 
They then force it down his throat by plugging his nose and pretending the spoon is an airplane, airplane, confirming that this might be the worst camp ever, ever. Ernest rushes outside quickly, spits out the food. Not quite sure, you know, again, what that scene is doing there, but I still, I love it because you get some time with Jake and Eddie who are just, they're gems. Then our group of bad boys get a bit of a break from hard labor and head to the lake for a swim. They unfortunately have the camp counselor, Stennis, as their leader. And being, you know, the jerk that he is, this heartless counselor, he forces them all to jump in. He's like, get in the water. Well, the youngest one named Mustafa, Moose, our little guy, he doesn't jump in because he doesn't know how to swim. Instead of being an actual adult and teaching the boy, Sinish just, you know, picks him up and throws him into the water and doesn't even bother, to, bother, you know, to help. Hey, this is how you stay afloat. Make sure to doggy paddle. Doesn't put a life vest on him. And the, this kid is like really struggling to keep his head above water. How has there not been a lawsuit against this man? The others don't appreciate how their friend was treated. So they climb out after Ernest, you know, saves Moose from the water. Um, and then they push Stennis, who is now sitting smugly on his lifeguard tower that's been fixed by Ernest, into the lake. And then apparently they break his lake in the process. We're not really sure what happens. That he just yells in the lake, my leg, my leg. Which I'm not really sure what happened to his leg, though, because it wasn't like he had his foot wrapped weirdly into the lifeguard tower and it was just a giant chair that got pushed backwards, but maybe he's a delicate man. I don't know. I don't know. Then the other counselors and Mr. Tipton, they're back in his office, you know, doing their thing while the campers run amok by themselves again and they start to debate what to do with the delinquents. It has been less than 24 hours, or at least it, it appears it has been. It seems to be the same day. Maybe some time has gone by. I don't know. But it feels like the same day. And they're already convinced that these kids have respect for nothing and should be sent back. I'm just guesstimating here. But by the crowd that piled off the buses at the beginning of the movie, it seems like there are at least at least 75 to 100 kids at this camp. And that feels very conservative. And yet we have only seen three counselors who then have decided that these seven kids that they've not even been around have no respect for anyone. Maybe there are more counselors hiding somewhere actually doing their jobs and not hanging out in the camp office, but perhaps that's the problem and not these kids. The child to adult ratio here, it's just not where it should be. It's not, it's not good, guys. It's then decided, you know what we're going to do. That handyman that ran into the bus when we just asked him to go pick them up, we're going to make him a camp counselor and put in command of the boys. So Ernest is getting his chance. Oh my goodness, it is his year. He sees it as an honor. They are just happy to pawn off their problem onto someone else. But now the fun is going to start. And so over the next half hour or so, we get a, a series of montages and activities that Ernest is, is trying to do with the boys. Activity number one, Ernest takes the group into the woods for a hike. They go with lots of lip, but they go, they do follow him. He tells them, <laughs> he tells them about Vietnam and they do a lot of, are we there yet? It's, it's a scene. There's a break in this particular scene though, where we get to meet the villain of the movie. 
this this guy named Crater, who owns Crater in- Industries, is blowing up and building things. Or I think he's building things. I don't know. He's just blowing up a lot of things. This company is looking to buy the land that Camp Kikiki is sitting on to mine an imaginary mineral named Petrocyte, which is apparently very lucrative and important to the space program. That That's all we're given. But that's it. And... You know, anyway, so the Sherman Crater wants it, and he is willing to do just about anything to get it. Then we're back at the hike where Ernest is showing them how to set a fire, but he sets his own leg on fire instead. He sees a badger, which promptly attacks him, and then he lets the kids practice first aid, which they're very excited about, which I find hilarious. And they basically turn him into a mummy. They didn't then decide to um, unravel him by tying one end of his bandage to the camp bus, which, you know, ends just as expected. Somehow they have keys to this bus. Who left keys to the camp bus in the bus itself? And uh, army, army shirt, wife beater kid, he decides to drive away and Ernest starts to spin around very quickly and then falls over, you know, as one does. Then we're jumping around here a lot. We're back to Crater's lawyer attempting to convince St. Cloud and her grandfather, the chief, to sell the land. Who can own a tree? Who can own a rock? Only the great spirit. Miss Cloud then explains that the the camp is there because the land was an ancient burial ground and they are the last of their tribe. The camp is part of a, a sacred trust and the boys that attend the camp as young braves who keep their tradition alive. So they want them to experience things just as the tribe did when they were living on the land. Lawyer dude is very disappointed, probably because he knows he has to go back to Crater and tell him and, and Crater has zero personality. So we're we're setting the scene. This is the land is important because of this mineral named petrocyte and the space program, but basically it's important because of this really greedy businessman, right? Then we have activity number two with Ernest. Ernest sees the boys messing with a pocket knife. He decides to show them how to sharpen the blade, and he ends up he ends up slitting his wrist. They get have the perfect opportunity then to guess what. Try more first aid. Yes, they're just really into this first aid. Then it skips back to the kitchen. It just is bouncing everywhere. Again, objectively, I know this is a horrible movie. I know that. But I love it so much. Because we are back in the kitchen where Jake and Eddie have been have created a, a cooking contraption with a lot of moving pieces. It looks like there's some whisks some dryer vents maybe it's a very big machine i don't know when they had time to do this maybe i don't know if they did it at camp or maybe they got some of the campers to help them build it or if this is something that they'd been working on in the off season and have brought it with them i don't know but they're trying to make lobster bisque this seems to be very swanky camp menu by including lobster this how much are these kids paying to go to this camp that (laughs) they can afford lobster for each kid uh, they also try a chicken pot pie made with a rubber chicken and fettuccine Alfredo. Even Jake doesn't seem impressed with these particular recipes, but they just start throwing ingredients into this machine. And then Eddie is standing 
at the other end of the machine with a bowl trying to catch it and just spitting food all over them. All of, it looks disgusting, but they're having a grand time. Of course, we have another scene change. Ernest is attempting to get a lantern lit. It's an old timey lantern. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen one of these in action, to be honest, that involves like a pumping action before being lit with the match. So I, what does that do? If, if you know what that does, please let me know. There's probably some kind of science involved with it. I don't know, but it's on the side of the lantern and he uses his thumb and he's pumping this thing and then he lights a match, but he gets very distracted with the matches and watches a couple just burn out. And then finally he remembers what he's doing and he sets it, you know, sets it alight. But apparently he's pumped it too much because it shoots off like a rocket. Um, which then runs to activity number three. When it finally lands, it's hot enough to burn his hand. Uh, so he's running and screaming and setting it down and running and screaming. And he runs over to the delinquent's bunk. I, I think he was just lighting it to get there. I don't know. But they're playing poker, as kids do. Uh, and they clean him out. I mean, he's like, I, I will have to give you my next 40 paychecks. Who they? How do they have money to play real money? I don't know. Ernest is just oh, he's he's a joy. That same night, somewhere nearby, Crater has used eminent domain to take a family's house, and they use muscle to physically extract them from the premises. So you get to see just how far Crater will go, and that he's not opposed to using violence to get what he wants. So just keep that in mind, guys. Keep it in mind. It's some foreshadowing going on. We can think of this really fun scene where Ernest has created his own cooking contraption to cook a chicken over a fire. Uh, it's a series of almost pulleys, one attached to his foot. And if he tips his foot forward, it starts to move and turn over a spit. And then if he pulls his foot back, then it stops, I guess. Um, it, of course, goes horribly wrong, dragging him toward the open flame and setting him on fire again. Uh, the boys are then gathered together by Mr. Tempton for a big announcement. And by boys, I mean the entire camp of, you know, 75 to 100 kids with their three counselors are in front of Mr. Tipton. And it's time for cabin projects. They're given zero guidance in the meeting which is terribly unhelpful, what you can use, what you can't use, what you should try to create, what you can't create. Ernest, however, decides to play cheerleader with his group who are incredibly disinterested. This probably feels like homework to them, and I don't think these kids are very into homework, these delinquents. They're ready to quit because they know they don't have a chance of winning. No one wants them to be there in the first place. Who's going to let them win? So Ernest suggests, though, hey, why don't we build a teepee? As he scouts out a good location, he runs into Miss St. Cloud and her grandfather. They're having a nice picnic. Uh, but Ernest ruins things by sitting in an army of fire ants. I don't really think this one is on him, though. St. Cloud was the one that put the pic picnic blanket down over a nest. How she got away bite-free seems suspicious, but she then takes him to the clinic and covers him in what looks like calabine lotion. The boys always ready to pull a fast one on him bring him a bouquet of poison ivy to cheer him up he takes it graciously which does nothing to endear him to them 
And then St. Cloud marches in and points out the problem, which sadly leads to another shot for, because he just, the exposure, he has a, he was just kind of rubbing the bouquet all over his face. Because when I get flowers, that's what I do. I just rub my face all in the flowers. It also leads to a scolding. So then she goes and finds the boys at their bunkhouse and just like, I'm really disappointed in you. And that seems to be enough to get them, you know, get through to them a little bit. It's actually a technique I've used before in the teen room at the library that, you know, has led to some stronger relationships and better behavior. Because in the end, teenagers do like boundaries and they like someone to tell them no, whether they will admit it or not. And it really works if you use mom voice, which Miss St. Cloud is very good at. Then we see Ernest sitting in his room feeling pretty low. He's talking to his turtle. Yes, you heard me correctly. He really likes the kids, but doesn't feel like he's making any difference in their lives. He hasn't gotten through to them. And the boys stumble into the room confused as to why the turtle is now attached to Ernest's nose. Because, of course, he has a snapping turtle. Uh, and they're ready to yank it off, but are told that the only way to get the turtle to act relaxes to sing him to sleep so they all start singing happy together in a very sweet bonding moment and i love it so much and i like the song too so much they the next day the delinquents decide to actually give the cabin project a try they've i guess they've connected with Ernest a little they're like you know what we can do this we can do this we can get we can make this it's mostly because the bullies told them that they weren't good for anything. So, you know, they've got to one-up the bullies now. And the next thing you know, they're working together to build a teepee and actually make some pretty great progress. And, of course, there's a pop song playing in the background, as always happens when, when something good is happening. Now, just as things seem to be looking up, we're back to Crater, who has to show he's tough by shooting glass bottles off a railway railroad tie near a lake mr lawyer tells him that grandpa isn't going to sell the land which just ticks him off more mr tipton walks so back to the camp mr tipton walks by and is impressed with the delinquents project so activity number four ghost stories with Ernest around a campfire where we also get a story about Vern. it's it's the classic hook story which doesn't have much of an effect on the boys i mean if they were in a state home, they've probably seen some stuff go down. So this story about a couple sitting in a car and there's a hook guy and the way Ernest tells it, you know. But Grandpa Chief is there as well. Somehow the party included Miss St. Cloud and Grandpa Chief. And Ernest asks if he'll tell them the story about the path of the brave. So Miss St. Cloud inter interprets for them. And the boys are just, they're immediately entranced. Too much so... Uh, but it's kind of sweet. It's it's poor acting. They just look too into it. When a young brave was ready to become a warrior, they were called in front of the elders of the tribe and tied up, tied up to like a tree to endure a series of tests. If this young man had faith in the great one, the knife that was being hurled at him would not cut him. If he had true courage, the the rock tomahawk thingy, I don't know what that's really called, being thrown at him would not hurt him. And finally, if the brave was pure of heart, the arrow being shot at him from a very close distance wouldn't touch him. The They actually have a good evening, which is really kind of nice. It's brought, But it's brought to an abrupt end as they see some smoke and they run to see it and they watch their teepee. They had worked so hard on just burned to the ground. The delinquents immediately blame the bullies and go after them, rightfully so in my opinion. 
A bunk fight starts, and Ernest gets called to the principal's office. So Tipton is ready to send the boys back, even though he knows how hard they worked on the teepee. He walked past and made a comment about it, like, look at what these boys are doing. He had to have been told that it had burned to the ground. He had to have known they were upset. He does not seem very interested in finding out who burned it to the ground. He just wants to send these boys back without a second thought. He also blames Ernest saying he wasn't up for the job. This is a horrible mentor. Horrible. Ernest begs for a second chance and Tipton concedes. So the next day he attempts a pep talk over the ruins of their project. And they're like, what's the point? They argue. And we get another dose of Ernest wisdom. The point is to do your best always, to always give it your best shot, the path of the brave. That's that's pretty good advice. It actually works. They get motivated. The peppy music is back, starts to play again, and the boys start to rebuild the teepee. Then we're back to Crater. We just keep going back and forth and back and forth. He always appears after happy scenes with the delinquents, which I find frustrating because you're on this high and then it's like, no, here comes Crater. He goes alone to reason with Grandpa Chief. Grandpa just ignores him and Crater has some trouble reading the room. He does not realize that old Indian chief grandpa does not actually know what he's saying. <laughs> he just thinks he's being stubborn. So he offers him money and royalties, but the chief doesn't understand and just, you know, keeps saying, shaking his head. That's when Ernest shows up unwittingly and Crater convinces him to talk to grandpa chief because he's like, oh yeah, I can kind of communicate with him. And so he tells Ernest Crater does a fake story about a strip mining company company that is polluting the river. So the paperwork that Crater is trying to get Grandpa Indian Chief to sign is to stop the pollution when in actuality it's, you know, turning the land over to Crater. Ernest thinks he's helping and he convinces Grandpa Chief to sign. They immediately close the camp. Immediately. I, I just, how is that? But you have 75 to a hundred kids or more, three counselors, all of their belongings. Parents have paid for this land, you know, this time where they get to send their kids off to learn about nature and leadership skills and the path of the brave. And you're just like, nope, you've got to go home. Would that really happen? I don't think that would really happen. I, I don't know. how they I don't know it just seems weird Ernest realizes it's his fault though and he immediately promises to fix things the delinquents don't want to go back to the detention center so thinking he's doing what's best for them Ernest decides to just storm into Crater's camp which shows up again the same day looking for a fight but Crater's muscle is there and he beats Ernest to a pulp it's it's the guy I was talking about that when he beats him to a pulp he actually breaks his nose the runt, Moose, gets in on the action but is thrown around like a doll. The boys just leave Ernest hurting on the ground, disappointed that he failed so miserably. The fact that they thought he could actually stand up to this very large man, I believe, who was a former pro football player, <laughs> is beyond me. Uh, but Ernest somehow manages to make it to the clair clinic where Miss St. Cloud patches him up and puts on her mom voice again. She calls him brave for trying to stand up against Crater. And then we get a sad moment where Ernest talks about the kids and the dreams he had for being a counselor. He then does some singing in the rain. And I've, I've always loved this song. 
It's very melancholy, but it's charming. And I guess he did it in one take too, which is wonderful. It's just, and then you get a sad montage of the boys packing up and Ernest singing to his turtle. I mean, some of the lyrics, it's, gee, I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I won't do that to you. But gee, I'm glad it's raining. There's always something to be thankful for. I'm awful glad it's raining because no one sees the teardrops when it pours. And no one knows the thunder is your heartbreak in disguise. They think those rainy nights is what put the sad look in your eyes. The gentle river rhythm, the pain inside. I'm glad the stars aren't shining. A wounded warrior needs a place to hide. I thought I had found someone I could count on till the end. What they wanted was a hero. All I needed was a friend. It's really hard not to sing it. <laughs> Gee, I'm glad it's raining. I hope the morning sun won't come up soon. As long as it keeps raining, no one knows my heart broke right in two. It's good. It's a good song. It's sad. But the next morning, Miss Saint, we see Miss St. Cloud visiting the delinquent's bunk. Why she ends up there, I don't know. It kind of seems out of the way. They were supposed to be on the buses that left earlier that shipped all of the other hundred kids out to keep them safe from the demolition and the very scary crater hitman. She gives them another scolding about respecting Ernest and how they should feel ashamed for not noticing that he was their friend, the only one who stood up for them. It works, and they go hunt him down with a plan to stop crater. And this is maybe one of the dumbest, and by dumbest, I mean best, the best, Stop the contractor's revenge plan ever. I don't know if there's other stop the contractor revenge plans, but if there are, this one is the best and the worst, but the best. And don't worry, there's a motivational pop song during their prep time. The plan involves, all right, the plan involves completely re-engineering one of the camp buses in one day to make it look like a Ford on wheels with bows and arrows and assault lanterns, a speaker system playing jungle sounds in the forest, a catapult, and Chef Jake and his cooking contraption. They, like, cut off the top of the bus in one day. Now, I have a friend at work that has purchased a school bus that looks just like these camp buses and you know was making kind of an RV a camper out of it and it did not happen in a day I can tell you so how they got the top of this bus off in a day I just it's it's magic they are magic spoiler alert Miss St. Cloud tries to stop the fun but when they don't relent she hurries off to the authorities the battle map is drawn they actually drew a battle map and it's time for action and now the bullies are on their side ready to help. How the camp, let's go back to this. How the camp counselors didn't realize that all of the kids weren't on the bus just again shows that this camp is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. But here we go. It's it's time for the battle. Step one Tarzan Tarzan sounds through the speaker system as a distraction. Step two, flaming arrows to destroy the contractor's tents. Step three. Chef Jake's vomitous food staining their clothes and making them generally nauseous. He's <laughs> just shooting food into the camp from his cooking contraption. Step four, catapulting smoke bombs that do no harm whatsoever. Step five, the piece de resonance, snapping turtles with parachutes that get tossed into the camp and fall to the ground to fly to the Valkyries. I just, you can't make this up. Or you can't. It is made up, but it's glorious. This particular step works because the contractor dudes are too too stupid to get out of the way and get attacked by turtles. These turtles are not falling fast. You could step one foot to the left or one foot to the right and not have the turtle land on you. But now they all have turtles hanging from their ears and their nose. 
Then they have the flying assault lanterns to blow things up. And then just for good measure, they catapult a, sm <laughs> a smoking toilet into the camp that also explodes. Crater is not amused. So he thinks it's a great idea to grab a gun and go shoot the kids. I, so high on their brief win, the fun is dampened when Crater's thug rolls up in heavy machinery that starts destroying the camp. My my little nephew, my five-year-old nephew who loves construction trucks would, would be able to tell me what it is, but it has a bucket in the front that lifts up and he's just using it to smash things. The kids watch helplessly as he, you know, is destroying the bunk houses, goes after the venting machine and venting machine and he's just cackling like a maniac. That's when we get the wise idea to load combustibles including Chef Jake's eggs erroneous onto a golf cart and aim it right at the truck. Thug dude gets out in the nick of time and weakened by the explosion, Ernest struts over and punches him as Crater pulls up and aims at Ernest. So gun guy is here now. Shot one, miss. Now, as you can imagine, the, the reenactment of Path of the Brave is kind of spoken over top of the scene. Shot two, miss. Shot three, miss path of the brave crater runs off scared at the end Ernest eventually puts his finger in the muzzle I was gonna say gun hole that didn't seem appropriate the muzzle of the gun I don't know anything about guns uh and crater runs off scared from what I'm not entirely sure maybe the fact that he was missing and we saw that he does not miss I and Miss St. Cloud pulls up with a restraining order from a judge would it be a restraining order? I guess it would be. I don't know. And just like that, Camp Kikiki is opening, open and thriving. The kids are back. Ernest is a counselor still trying to fix the sign from the beginning of the movie. The end. Whew. It just makes you want to go and watch it, doesn't it? I know you want to go and watch it. A quick rundown of the characters. For such a simple movie, there's actually quite a few characters you have to keep track of. Of course, there's Ernest. Ernest is affable, positive, compassionate. He is horrible at maintenance and has big dreams of being a camp counselor. You actually don't get to spend all that much time with him. But Varney immediately puts you at ease. And you re realize that while you might not want him to be your go-to guy for getting things done, he's the cheerleader you need in your corner. It occurred to me that Ted Lasso has a bit of Ernest P. Whirl in him, a, like a cockeyed optimist who loves people, and I think maybe that's why I like Ted so much too. Then you have the bullies, Brooks and Pennington, of course with the Ivy League snobbish names to get set them apart from the other delinquents, whose only purpose is to make life difficult for Ernest's bunkhouse, his boys. For a camp based on leadership and teamwork, they are horrible counselors again and horrible campers. Then we have the Charity Case Kids. Crutchfield, Bobby Wayne, Danny, Bubba Vargas, Mustafa, and Chip Osgood. Great names. Besides Mustafa, they're all kind of the same kid and provide just about the only diversity in the whole movie as well. I wouldn't go as so far as to say they're the bad kids with the heart of gold, but like most teenagers, I think they are misunderstood. They needed to be bad enough that they felt like bad eggs, but not bad enough that you didn't want to root for them in my opinion the bullies were way worse than these kids were but i guess they needed to be to make the delinquents look better um, there's two more groups old indian chief grandpa and nurse a cloud 
They're in the movie for a couple reasons. One, to connect you to the path of the brave, the hero's journey, and two, to be the group that was standing in the way of what the real villain of the film wanted. And we have our villain, Crater, the developer or miner who wants the land the camp is on and will do whatever it takes to get it the imaginary mineral. The movie has all of the character elements needed and while there's not a fully realized hero's arc Ernest never gets better at his job he's the same compassionate character at the end that he was at the beginning Crater's still horrible he didn't get anybody better either there is a slight curve when it comes to seeing growth between the bullies and the delinquents so we'll give it that as for the plot and the story exposition we have a run-of-the-mill summer camp that is situated on the land of an Indian chief who allows use of the space in order to connect kids to the land and offers them important life skills. Working at the camp is a man, Ernest, who has dedicated his life to working at the camp and dreams of getting to help kids as counselor. And then one summer, the camp invites a small group of young men who are wards of the state, and Ernest gets his chance. Conflict. The camp just so happens to be sitting on prime real estate. Unbeknownst to the Indian chief, there is a mineral on the camp that when mined is highly profitable, and a developer, Sherman Crater, wants to get his hands on it. Rising action, Crater sends his lawyer to the camp to provide, to attempt to persuade the Indian chief, but he refuses. This makes him terribly unhappy. Meanwhile, Ernest is struggling to connect with the kids in the bunkhouse, who are also struggling to fit in with a camp filled with Boy Scouts. Climax, Ernest, who is friends with Indian chief, unwittingly convinced the landowner to sign over the property to Crater, who immediately kicks the camp out. Immediately, despite the fact that it's a sleepover camp filled with children. Falling action, the delinquents supported by the bullies and bolstered by Ernest decide to fight back while Nurse St. Cloud turns to the state for legal assistance. There's a great battle with catapulted turtles and flying food, which surprisingly works. And then conclusion, it's really Nurse St. Cloud that comes home and, you know, comes through in the end. The kids hold off Crater's lackey long enough for her to make the 11th hour save and the camp immediately recommences Somehow they got all the kids to come back right away and everyone lives happily ever after. There's, there's not a lot to this movie. I admit that, but to, to that, I'm just going to say, I don't care. There's charm and laughter. And sometimes that's all you really need. As for life lessons, let's see one. Um, don't sign paperwork. You don't understand (laughs) Two. Maybe give your maintenance staff a test to see if they're capable and can actually fix things. Three, give people the benefit of the doubt. There are good people, good kids out there who just have had a rough start in life. Sometimes they just need to be given a chance and shown that they're welcome. And four, don't ever eat anything called graham cracker bouillabaisse. Okay, the life lessons were not deep in this one. A final wrap-up. Character recasting. Maybe casting an actual Native American in the role of old Indian chief. I did read that despite being of Italian heritage, the Hollywood Native community honored him for his contribution to Native American representation and causes. That seems a little strange to me. Um, The fact that he just flat out appropriated a culture and a people. But I guess he did bring attention to, to policies and things that needed to be called attention to i don't know it seemed weird though does this or did this need a sequel this particular story no it did not need a sequel but i am sure glad we got Ernest goes to to prison and Ernest saves christmas so we got something good out of it in the end 
rewatchability? Yes. Always? Constantly? No. No. I would say every two or three years it's worth a rewatch. Uh, this is not one I watch every year, but I do really love it. What do you think of Ernest Goes to Camp? Have you seen it? Do you love it? Will you lie to me and just say yes, please? I'm okay with that. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you want to go to Tennessee with me in June 2022, you just let me know so we can enjoy Ernest Day together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review, but only if it's nice. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time. Thank you.